Politics, sports, movies. You are listening to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Twitter. Twitter. Check out Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast at Bend Your Ear Pod. Instagram at Bend Your Ear Pod. www.letmebendyourear.com. Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank. I am the host of the show and happy you can join and listen. If you've listened to a previous episode, thank you for coming back. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome, and I hope you will enjoy the show and continue to be a listener. This podcast discusses three topics, movies, sports, and politics. Each episode will be dedicated to one of these topics. Today's show will center on politics. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox under Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. Please subscribe to the show on any one of these podcasting apps so you can receive new episodes direct to your device when they become available. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. This is a very important and simple way you can help the show reach a wider audience. You can also always get the show from our website at www.letmebendyourear.com. Welcome, everybody. A couple of points before we start the interview with Olga. Two things. One, I know in the intro I indicated that this was an episode on politics. As I stated previously in episode eight, uh, the politics connection I'm making with the Ybor City Mafia is their influence on the politicians of the day. Now, obviously, this particular interview is not really going to get into that. And normally the show is politics, sports, and movies. But uh, I think this is a very fascinating topic. I know, obviously, there is always an interest in the mafia. And I always uh, thought this angle was interesting Uh, mafia in a city that you wouldn't normally associate with the mafia and plus I grew up in Tampa uh, which is close to Ybor City so had a personal uh, connection to me and and the person I'm interviewing has personal connection to me as well so I thought this was a fascinating bookend to episode eight so which brings me to my second point I would highly recommend if you're listening to this show right now and you have not listened to episode eight uh, please stop and listen to that episode first before you listen to this one. The reason being, there's going to be names referenced in this podcast, specifically Charlie Wall, Joe Provenzano, Jimmy Valenti, Sancho Traficanio, Conte Sr. and Jr. Uh, We're going to reference them and really not get into much more about who they were, just as part of the narrative that Olga gives to me. So if you listen to episode eight with author Scott Ditchie, we discuss all of these people in detail. So once you listen to that episode, you'll be able to listen to this episode and know exactly who Olga and I are discussing. So again, if you haven't listened to episode eight, I would stop this one here, listen to episode eight, then come back to this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. All right. Very excited today to have on the show um, Olga, who actually was a resident of Ybor City during the time that uh, the mafia had a huge influence in that town. Uh, if you go back and listen to episode eight of the show, I talk about that with author Scott Ditchie, but we're gonna get a perspective from someone that actually lived through that time. So I wanna start, Augur, with some background. When, what years did you live in Ybor City? All my life. Was it, were you born in Ybor City or moved there from another city? I was born in Ybor City in 1931. So- so I got married, let me see, in the 60s. No, when I left, I left the city in around the 70s. Okay, so you were actually, wow, this is perfect, because you were actually there the entire time of the scope of my first show, so this is actually fantastic. So 
Let's start with your childhood a little bit. So what do you remember about the Ybor City when you were a young girl? Like just the city itself, the, the people, the lifestyle. What do you remember about that when you were a little girl? Well, I, we were a great neighborhood. Everybody cared for everybody. There was a very big influence of Italians, which were our neighbors. We just we, we grew up, we intermingled with all of them. Right, so Ybor City was a, and doing the research that I did and reading the book, so it was a very diverse community. So you had Italians, uh, Hispanics, Cubans, African Americans, so it was a pretty diverse community as you remember then, right? Yes, yes it was. One of the few, I think, in Florida. I think it was an anomaly for Florida being that diverse. Uh, so as you were growing up in Ybor, what, what were some of the landmarks that you remember? Uh, we'll start as a little girl, then we'll go as you get older. But what, what were the places that you hung out? Or what, what were the kind of the, the, the places to be in Ybor City when you were little that were fun for you? Well, oh, let's see. Then, once in a while, they had a little circus, what you call those little Ferris wheels thing. We used to go right there in Ybor City, have hot dogs and hamburgers. And, of course, going to the Ritz Theater. We went to the Casino Theater and uh, just hung up. Just hung out with the kids, everyday thing. We just go to each other's house, do our homework, go to Cascaden Park, and we'd go to the swimming pool there and uh, played ball. All that right, was about right. it. Like, I can remember. All right. And then as you started to grow up and get a little bit older, when did you, when was the first time that you can remember that you noticed that maybe there was a element in Ybor City that was not on the up and up, a criminal element, however you want to describe it. When did you first notice that where you're like, well, okay, there's some things going on here that maybe are, are not on the up and up? I was in my early teens. In fact, just about getting into the teens because I had friends that were Italian and their fathers, as far as I understood, had prominent jobs but we never know what they did. You know, okay. we'd find out later on in life what it was, but at the time, like I used to go to Gracie's Traficantes to do homework. Wow, that's Santo's daughter? That's Sa Santo Senior, yes. Santo Senior's daughter, okay. All right, so yeah, let's kind of start there. So Santo Senior, uh, in my previous show, we spoke about him uh, a, a little bit because we really focused on Junior. But yeah. Santo Traficante Sr., so I know a little bit of his story. Obviously, he immigrated from, from Sicily uh, mm -hmm. to Ebor and, and set up shop there and started his, his rise to, to his prominent position. Now, mm -hmm. one of the things, obviously, that's a thread through one of the main ways that they made money was through the, the Bolita games. That's so, right, the Bolita Right. So when did you, was it in your teens as well when you noticed, the, was there, uh, when I read the book, there was basically Bolita, pretty much any retail outlet that I could read there basically ran Bolita, whether it's a bakery or any kind of retail outlet had Bolita. Is that right? Yes. However, what I remember, the Bolita men would come to the house. They would come to the house every Saturday morning or whenever to get numbers. Then we do know that he would uh, turn it over to somebody for the Saturday night lot or wherever it came from. I believe it came from Cuba, from the horses. I really don't remember. Mm -hmm. But then we knew that if you won, the next day he would come and pay you. In fact, my grandmother played a lot, the Bolita. And then we found out afterwards, of course, that there was a banker. I did not know who the bankers were until I was a little older. 
that's where Traficante came in. Right, right. The bankers. Yeah, no, definitely. Let me go back a little bit too. Um, so you said you would do home. You would do homework in Gracie's Traficante's. I guess in the kitchen at the time. I would figure where there's a table. Yes, so, yes. And it was only it was only twice. Okay. I was very young until my father told me not to go there. Of course, I didn't understand at the time. Okay. Did you ever meet Santo Senior? Oh, yes. Well, I saw him, of course. I, you know, Cindy, he was very old already. Yes, I saw. See, he used to own the Yellow House Bar on 15th and 11th. That was one of his handouts. And the two times, a couple times you, you interacted with him, how, how was he just as a, you know, what, what were your memories of him specifically? Nothing, nothing. Just in and out of the room. Never. Okay. He never interacted with, with me anyway. Never. Just saw him. It was an old man. Okay. His son was the one that was around more, and I didn't interact with him either. They were just, they were just in and out of the house. They never stayed. And like I said, I only went twice till my father put a stop to it because of the circumstances. Right. See, I don't know if I may add. At the time, okay, there was Jimmy Valenti. He was not Italian. In fact, he was Cuban, I believe. He was from Key West. And he took over the Bolita. And I was about 12 or 13 when uh, there was a shooting right there in Ebor City. I think it was on the corner of 21st Street. Anyway, they killed Jimmy Valenti. And the killer was Joe Provenzano. Everybody knew that. It went to, it went to court, but the next day Joe Provenzano was shipped to Italy. Now, I went to school with these children, with these people. I knew they were kids, you know. And that's what I remember. And then we found out it was Traficante that was behind it all because he didn't want competition with Abolita. He had it all. Now, I understood later on that he also had prostitution, but I never saw that. I had nothing to do. I just remember the Abolita. Right, and I think as they diversified how they made money, no, I think you're right. I think they, the Bolita was the main driver for a while, then they obviously yeah. branched out to other aspects. So when you were talking about um, uh, the murder of Valente, which we discussed in my other episode, and Provenzano being the person that did it. Now, you're saying this was Traficante Jr. that ordered that killing, correct? I believe so. I believe okay. so. Okay, because at this point, this is when... Uh, I'm assuming did Senior had passed away at this point and Junior was running everything, is that right? I think so, Frank. I don't remember because I said I left later on. I don't know if it was... No, I, he, he was still alive when I was... In the 70s, I believe, mm-hmm. wasn't he? I believe so. I think... No, I think you're right. And I think... The, yes. Just, yeah. But, uh, so let's go... All right, so let's go there. That's a good point. So I was going to ask my next question. You answered it already. When was the first time you kind of remember violence. And so obviously you've already brought up the killing of Jimmy Valenti. What, what other violence did you either know about or were in the know about after that murder? Because I know murders kind of escalated after that uh, as yeah. it was a, a battle for, for control. Exactly. Now, I'll tell you, before that, I don't remember the year. You could probably check it. I remember, not the rumors, but just what's going around, the murder of Charlie Wall. Yes, gentleman Charlie Wall. Yeah, we talked a lot yes. about Charlie Wall because I know he was basically the genesis of the Bolita racket in Ybor City and kind of ran it. Because I know, I guess he came from a prominent family in yes. Tampa and yes. kind of just went a different. He was kind of like the black sheep, for lack of a better term. He could have had a pretty uh, privileged life, but he ended up getting into the underworld and really becoming pretty powerful. That's right. That's right. And let me add, when I used to, we used to walk to school. We used to walk in front of his house. I believe it was Columbus Drive, somewhere there. And it had a big, big, tall fence. 
and we often wondered, you know, and then we found out that's where he lived. But I don't remember when he was shot, but he was shot right there. No, no, thanks for bringing that up, no, because we talked about that, and, and that's why I'm glad to have you on, because you, you really have a realistic, you know, you know these figures, and you kind of knew who they were. Even if you didn't know them personally, you kind of knew who they were. So, right. yeah, Charlie Wall's murder, I think, was before, I think, I could be wrong, I have to go back and double check, but, uh, so w what other killings that you remember, or violence, or, 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 or because of the rise of gambling there what how did it affect you in Ybor City I know when you were a child it was fun and innocent time so when it started to become more violent how did that affect you when you were living there well I'll tell you what I was by the time I was 17 I was dating I was dating Costa Sam Costa C-O-S-T-A and uh, I dated him for a while very nice young man. He was about seven years older than me at the time. He had been in the service, but I found out afterwards. I was at the, uh, well, the restaurant, the Cuervo, the Cuervo Cafe, C-U-R-E-V-O. That was very famous because a lot of people met there. A lot of the gangsters met there. And we were there, and uh, we were having coffee. And I remember my uncle L came by, and he saw us, said hi. So anyway, it went home. And that's when they told me I shouldn't date Sam anymore because his father was in mafia. See, I didn't know. Who do you know? Who was, who was his father? I don't know, but I know the last name was C O S T A. I'm sure somebody would know. Okay. Should be in some books or something. Yeah, and how long? How long did you date him? Oh, I'd say about I don't know, maybe four or five months. Now I do know that Sam, after after that, he bought the Blue Penguin. Bar and Blue Blue Penguin Club, I think, somewhere in Palm Palmasia, somewhere around there. And I understood that he too was in the mafia, but I I could never, you know, I never saw anything when it came to him, you know. But I do remember going to the Moose Club with him, and there was a whole bunch of guys hanging around, and you could tell that they were in some kind of society, you know. But I never heard anything personally. Right, and let me ask you. Speaking of the of the clubs and stuff, because obviously there were various social clubs that were uh, heavily mafia attended. Now, I know one of the centerpieces in Orlando is actually where Traficante Jr. is buried um, in Ybor City, and I know that was um, and I forgot the name of it off the top of my head. I'll look it up. But the Yellow House Bar. Yeah, that I remember. It's yeah, called it the Yellow House Bar. It's a yellow building right on the corner. Yeah. Yeah, right on the and There's the Society of the Italian Society. Yes, that's what I think I'm referring to. The, the very large building. I think yeah, it's still there, actually. Exactly, yeah. yeah. We used to go dancing there a lot, yes. Right, a lot of social events were there, right? Yes, exactly. And when when do you remember as far as, did it, was the violence something that was sporadic in your life, or was it something that became very present and then went away. How do you remember as far as that time that you were well, there? Well, I remember it. I, let's, let me say this. Like once a month you heard something. Right. So it was like, pretty frequent then? Yes. Okay. It got pretty violent there for a while, yes. Yeah. And Where we were had, there any we other under, other people in the underworld that you either knew casually or, or were friends with that, that you know, even sh shed a light on you about what they were doing, or were you pretty isolated from that other than, than dating no, Sam Costner? I was, I was isolated from a lot of that. I just yeah. know what my parents would tell me or my uncles. Or When I saw, you know, of course, I, I would see the older brothers or whatever, 
of my friends, but we were never allowed to associate with them. Like I said, only twice I went to Tropicante's house, twice. Beautiful home. Not knowing until I, they told me not to go anymore. Not because of Grace, not because of, I think that was her name, yeah. It was because of what anything could happen, you know, and, I, and I'd be in, in the line of, sh you know, in the line of fire. Yeah, it was no, just, absolutely. And you know, and you know, let me tell you, it was a good, it was bad, but I have very, very good memories of a lot of good Italians. Maybe they were in the mafia, I don't know, but they were very, they were very for family. They were very, very for family. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question, since, since the neighborhood was diverse. What, what, because I know there's always a, a, kind of a mixed feeling about the mafia. I think uh, people that are not involved in it, especially Italians, have mixed feelings. I think some were very strongly opposed to it, felt it made Italians look bad. But I think other Italians, even if they weren't involved in the crime, were kind of sympathetic to them because, like you said, the focus on the family with them, I think, was something that they respected, even though yeah. maybe they didn't respect the line of work that they were in. What, how was it, the Italians that you knew, what, what did they say or not say about the mafia in Ybor City? Were they happy about it, not happy about it? What, what were their thoughts about it? They were happy about it because it, it, was, it was a friendly thing. Like I said, it was friendly, loving, happy. They kept their business to their business. Let me tell you, when they would shoot somebody like Jimmy Valente, they killed him in front of his wife and child, but they didn't touch her. They didn't, they didn't touch the families. They went to the person. Am I making any sense? No, absolutely. That makes sense. I think, I think that's part of what people, the, there was a code. There was a code. That's it. It was right. a code. That they were loyal to that code. That's it, exactly. Now, you said Pre Prevenzano, even though everybody knew he murdered Jimmy Valente, he got he left the country the very next day. Did Not the he, next day, about a week later. I mean, a week later, three or four days later, they were trying to find him. They were looking for him. came in the newspaper. They were looking for him, and they found out he was in Italy. They shipped him to Italy because he was the killer because Valente's wife saw him, and she named him because he, you know, he, he killed, his, killed his, her husband right in front of her. So they knew Joe Provenzano, and he was associated with the mafia, big right. time. He was, he was what they call, what is it that they, that they call the, the enforcer? There you go. He was the enforcer. All right. And did he, and I'm assuming he never came back, right? He was gone forever? As far as I know. Yeah. As far as I know. Now, I want to go back to Bolita a little bit because in our, my previous episode, we discussed kind of the game itself because it's kind of fascinating. I know um, the author of the book that I read described two versions of the game. Um, I know the one you just described and the, kind of was the origin where you, you would um, listen to the horse races from Havana on the radio yeah. and place bets on who would win the races. And right. then that was kind of the first generation of Bolita. And then it kind of evolved into the game where they would uh, put the balls in the bag yes, and exactly. throw the bag like a, and then like they would a pick a number out. Exactly. To be a winner. Now, did you ever play those games like that? Or did you remember doing that or having, or anybody in your family doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, yes, I did. I was young. I was young. I didn't play. I wasn't allowed to play, but I'd tell my grandmother what to play. And she would play on my father. Uh -huh. My grandmother won. With a nickel, you'd win $100. Right. This is a parlay, what they call a parlay. You had to hit the number just the exact way. And she played a nickel, and she won $100, which I know she took us to Key West 
to visit her husband's <laughs> <laughs> grave, okay? You know, took us to Key West, because that's where they were all from. Right. And uh, my father, yes, and this this man they used to call El Gato. He used to come every Saturday to see my grandmother to get her numbers. And we knew it was against the law. I mean, cause we, but everybody was doing it. Right. And then, of course, then if, when he did come, we had this man called Cha-Cha. His name was uh, Martinez, but they called him Cha-Cha. He, wonderful man. In fact, he taught me how to dance when I was a little girl. And he used to do the bolita. Not that, and yet he used to work in the factory making cigars with my father. But on weekends, he played the bolita. He, 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 he didn't play. He gathered. You know what I mean? He went collecting. Yeah. But we knew... We knew that there was a top guy that had all the money. He was the one that would do the payouts to these people, and then these people would bring it to the customers, you know. Right. It and was I, a big thing, Frankie. It was a big thing. Oh, I know. I know. I, and, and I think one of the things, and you brought it up, that, was, that made it such a big thing was, like you said, your grandmother played a nickel and yeah. won $100. So obviously $100 back then, that's a lot of money. And, and and then there's another another one. If you if you got three numbers, they call it pajarito, the little bird. They would call it the pajarito. Now you could win fifty dollars, twenty five with a nickel. It depended how you played. They had several. It was several. The parlay was on Saturday night. That was the big one. Then they had the pajarito, the little ones, whatever. And they might have had more that I don't remember. Or I don't know. You know, I don't. I didn't know. Right. Now, another aspect I want to talk about, and I don't know how much you would know or not know. So obviously, anytime there's a city with, with, a, with a heavy mafia influence, there's always going to be uh, corruption in the governmental level or with the police or both. So I know in, in, in the Tampa government and, and, and with the police, there were obviously factions that cooperated uh, with, yes. with the mob for, for, for a lot of money. So do you remember anything about, not that you would know, but anything that seemed kind of like, wow, okay, I guess the cops are kind of uh, helping the, the mob out. Anything that you can recall or remember something about that? No, honey, no. I knew they were doing it, but I don't remember an incident. You know, okay. I don't remember. I'm trying to think of the mayor at the time that he was, oh, goodness gracious. You, you, can you throw a name at me? I don't know. Actually, anyway. give me a second. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do quick research right now. Yeah. And uh, I know he was. I heard her. He was in on it. You know, mayor. But he was a very loved. I don't know. They were good to the people. You know, they were just bad to the criminal. How can I? You know, how can I word that? No, I think you worded it perfectly. And I think it's funny you say that because I think. Even if you watch or read stories about the mafia, not even just in Ebor in, in New York, Chicago, yeah. I think you're right. I think I think a lot of times the underworld exists pretty successfully because, like you said, it's it's business, and even though there's violence and, and yeah. sometimes innocent people were in the crossfire, it wasn't very often that that happened. That's and it right. was usually, I think, the attitude of a lot of people is, "Hey, look, they're criminals." That's right. What, what do you expect? But I do remember that since you brought that up, you brought it to New York. I do remember, I believe it was in the late 60s or 70s, I don't remember, when they had, when I know Tropicante, uh, but it's Lenski, and all these went to New York for a big, big meeting of all the mafia heads, of all the, you know, in upstate New York, and they were raided. That was a big, big thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I actually, yeah, we talked about, 
the meeting when Traficante went to New York because he actually had to sneak out of Tampa. Exactly. Uh, he went yeah. in under an alias. So That's they right. wouldn't, yeah, so then he met with Meyer Lansky and all those because I know basically yeah. Traficante, what's so fascinating about him, one, he was never convicted of anything. No. Nope. Which is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, two, it is unbelievable. Yeah, they unbelievable. Could. And two, he basically ascended to such a level of respect, even though he wasn't from the New York or Chicago mafia, that anytime anyone from the North, because a lot of Northeastern gangsters came down to do business in in Tampa, in Miami. That's right, then they would fly to Cuba. Right, and then they would fly to Cuba, and I know Traficante Jr. was in Cuba for a few years running the hotel. Right, exactly. Right. And that's where he kind of gained his experience and how to how to work in organized crime. But you know, any any time they had to come through Florida, they had to, they had to stop by and see Junior uh, and pay him his tribute. Right, exactly. Because that exactly. was his territory. That's right. Yeah, and that meeting. No, that's yeah. We did talk about that that big meeting up there to to kind of set everything straight about what what was going to happen in Florida. So yeah, I, and I know he was definitely yeah. in league with Meyer Lansky uh, uh, specifically. And I think it was Bonanno. I can't remember. And I'm trying to think Bonanno. And there was a whole mess. Of, I went even from the Midwest. They went to that meeting. Joe Bonanno. That's right. Because then Joe Bonanno went. Out, I think it was to Texas. No, Arizona. One of those places to try to retire. Right. And then the and thing I that was interesting about Junior was I always assumed he he. He lived his entire life in Tampa, but he actually didn't. He lived in Miami for a long time. Yes, yes. But but his headquarters was always in Tampa. He always came back there. You know, I don't know if you've even driven around there, but the last time I was in Tampa, my cousin drove me around 15th Street, and that bar is still there. I don't know who owns it or what, you know, but the Yellow House Bar, that's really historical. That's been this. Listen, I'm going to be 88, and that was there when I was a little girl. Right. That was the meeting place. I never went in there, of course. At my time, girls, ladies didn't go in those places. You know, strictly for men. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't have the, the memories I have of the killings that I heard. Of course, this Jimmy Valenti was the cousin of my, my stepfather's wife. I don't know if you're going to understand that. So she, his children were her nieces and nephews. But I never knew him personally, Jimmy Valenti. I think I found the mayor's name, Curtis Hickson. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Curtis, the, the namesake of Curtis Hickson Hall. I do and remember. It took me a second. I, I knew it was a famous name, too. I just had to look it up. But yeah, it was Curtis Hickson. There's another one, Nick something or other. You just brought it to mind. Yeah. The other one was Italian. Yeah. But anyway, Kurt, you're right. Oh, uh, Nick right. Nucio. There you go, Nick Nucio. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I just pulled up the list of mayors all, for Tampa. They were all. Today we'd say they were bought by them. But they controlled everything. But yeah, they, and I think you're right. So I think it, they controlled it. But like you said, I think you if you didn't choose to be a part of that life, you weren't yeah. really affected by it. No, and they'd leave you alone. You know. Now, do they, you remember since you were there through the 70s, yeah. Do you remember, because in, in also in the episode we discussed the kind of disintegration of the mob influence in Tampa. Uh, it kind of got fragmented um, across the country because drugs became involved and, and the code that used to exist actually started to kind of disintegrate. Where That's right. Where families That's were getting killed. Um, 
they were not following that code that they used to follow back in the, exactly. in, in the, the beginning. Do you remember and, seeing that uh, as far as violence in Tampa or in the 70s? How was it Ybor City in the late 60s and 70s? Well, like I just told you, but you, you got to remember, I left in the 70s. Mm -hmm. I got married and left. So there's a lot that I don't remember, only when I would go back and visit. But I do know that it started to disintegrate because I believe not only the drugs, but heavy-duty prostitution. And there was a time when prostitution was okay, but nobody knew about it. You know, I mean, it's not okay in my book. I'm just saying with them. You know? Right. They were mostly into gambling. What I remember at my time was gambling, a lot of heavy-duty gambling, and a little prostitution, but gambling. There right. was a lot of money in that, huh? Yeah. And you're right, they had a code. They did have a code. You didn't bother families, the, the, you know, the, the, the children, you know, the kids, the wives. Of the, you, know, you, leave, you left them out of all the business. Where today, that's all different, you know, very different. And when you left Ybor City, how was it when you left? So how, was it kind of the same, or, or, or did you leave before, before it got really bad? Was it still really relatively the same well, when you left? When I left, it wasn't so bad. When I was there, it was when they were having all the killings. Right. I was there with a lot of killings. But then I left. And, of course, I don't, I don't know how it, how it slowly started to end. You know, I wasn't there. Right. You know, how it started to diminish. I don't think, personally, that it's really all gone. I think it's just handled different now. It's not as bad as it was then. But mm -hmm. I still think there's a lot of corruption there. Yeah, I think that's something known. I think uh, the the term mafia, I think everybody, I think it's always, there's always going to be, I think, organized crime on some level. Exactly. I, mean, I know the yes. famous name is the mafia, but I, I think it doesn't even have to be the mafia or even Italians, per se. Or the Black Hand or La yeah. Cosa Nostra, all that. <laughs> See, they don't use those names anymore because people have gotten wise. The um, politicians, you know. Yeah. So they have their other, their other whatever names they use, you know. But like and, I said, uh, at my age, a lot of these old ones have passed on already. All these big wheels have passed on. I don't know if they're children, not Traficante Jr. He kept up with his father's stuff, you know, since dad started. And, right. uh, and, and a little tidbit, the son, I believe the son of Traficante Jr., when, when Marie, she was, I think, 18 or 19, was working at the bank in Tampa, he, he was, she was the teller. And he could, went there and tried to date her a few times. <laughs> <laughs> what, hey, you know what? That's funny. There's a story about a bank, and I don't remember. What bank did she work at? Oh, goodness gracious. Because there was, and the only reason I bring that up is, is it's funny that you bring up a bank, because if I remember, I have to go back to my other episode. There was yeah. a bank in the 80s. Uh -huh. And 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 Tampa that was that got in a lot of trouble because and I forgot the name of the mafia figure that was involved in it. They they basically gave loans to a lot of mafia figures that yes. were were shady loans. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if it's the same bank, but that's what's funny that you say that because it was a bank that was doing it for years, and I forgot the name. And like I said, this was. I'll have to ask Marie because that's what Jeffrey got to. Third or whatever was trying to date her, so it must have been the same bank. I'll have to ask her when I see her later. 
Yeah, I don't know if it is. Like I said, it could be a coincidence, but I just, right. just made me remember that story that was from the book, and we talked about that, how, uh, you know, the, the bank, you know, that particular bank, and I don't remember the name of it, was uh, was definitely, I think the bank manager there or the finance person there was really, uh, he was really yeah. mobbed up with those guys and kind of uh, got them a lot of money. <laughs> and let me tell you something else. She's gone already. You know, my sister-in-law, Violet, has passed away, Kiki's wife. Yeah. She was a very good friend of Mary Train, in which she, her parents were in the mafia. Wow. See, my sister-in-law, Violet, was half Italian, and Violet grew up around a lot of them, more so than I did. Right. Yeah. Did but she ever like convey I, any stories to you that, uh, that, she, that she went through? No, no, no. She would never talk much about it, just that they were friends, and that was it. Which is probably the smart, smart way to do that. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember so much more because, you know, like you asked me how I was growing up, it was my childhood, I, you know, it was it was good. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I had a good childhood. I really did. And with a lot of friends and met a lot of people. Sure, everybody has tragedies and has problems, but it, all in all, we were not afraid to go to school. We were not afraid to walk the streets at night. We were protected because the neighbors would protect each other. Well, that's good to hear. Pain, huh? Yeah, no, that's good to hear because I think, and that's why I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to know, you know, because when you read uh, or do research on, on the violence and, and, and what happened uh, as a result of the mafia being yeah. there, you know, you, you have, you almost paint a picture of, wow, it must have been like unsafe to walk the streets. And even though you indicated that, you know, at the high point, there was a murder about once a month, which that's a lot, yeah. but yeah. I, I guess the other 29 days, everything was fine. So I think exactly. for you... Yeah, for you it was it was it was something that you're like, oh, yeah, it happens. But for the most part, everything else was great. And let me tell you something: we'd get two or three girls, we'd walk to the movie theater because we didn't have cars. We walked, and we had to go by the Pueblo Cafe. I just told you that was one of the hangouts. And well, we'd go by the by the bar, whatever. Walk by the sidewalk, and there was the group of men. Nobody ever said anything inappropriate, and you, you, it's hard to explain, frankly. We felt safe. You know what I'm saying? You felt safe. That's good. I have a question that's not, oh, it may be end up mafia-related. One of my favorite places is the Columbia Restaurant, which is still there, of course, in Ybor. Yes. Can you give me some, just any random memories about going there? Did you go there? What, what, what is your interaction with the Columbia Restaurant? Would you believe that I think I'm living there all my life? I went there one time and saw <laughs> my main show. That was it. Oh, that's because funny. The, why, why only once? Because at the time, it was too expensive for our pockets, or our dates wouldn't take us there. Ah, uh, okay, so it was a price thing. So it was always an upper-crust restaurant then at the time. Right, but you see what happened in Ybor City. Every Saturday, every Saturday, either the Italian club, the Asturiano club, the casino, believe it or not, because it, they, there's a dance floor on the top, there was always a dance to go to for everybody, young and old. You know, and then on sometimes on uh, and then on Sunday's afternoon, right there in the casino, we called it the casino, and it's Centro Español. It's really we had a matinee from four to eight. The young people would all go with a live band. El Conjunto Alegre, I remember so well. Okay, now the boys would go out downstairs and drink or whatever, but you were not allowed to drink in the hall, and they had monitors. And these monitors, they were Italians, most of them. They were just, you know, there were three or four around the, they were just watching the youth, taking care of everybody. It was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time. 
Well, then, yeah, so I guess my next question, I think I know the answer. So uh, I'm assuming uh, some of these clubs were, were owned by uh, organized crime figures. Uh, well, I, I can't say that. I know the Italian was, and of course now, I don't know about the Cuban club, but I'm sure it was, but the uh, Casino, Centro Español, they had their hands on all of them. I right. know that. Because they all had Italians in them. And this is the, the 50s and the 60s. In the early fifties, you know, I do know because you see them, you saw them all the time. You got to used to the faces, you know, of these men. Right. But it wasn't scary, and they were not dressed with guns or anything like that. That's not what I mean. So it's not like the movies, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. No. It was. It was. Uh, I don't know how anyone else would describe Ybor City or even Tampa, West Tampa, but I enjoyed my youth from what I can remember. Yeah. No, I didn't I live, I could live today, no. Yeah, no, and I think you, you well, that's kind of the beautiful, beautiful thing about being a child. Even if you grow up in an area that's not the best, children always have good memories of where they grew up. They just exactly. kind of work around the stuff that's not so great. Yeah. And just, you know, if they have friends and they have their family, they, right. they, they have good memories. And that's good, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you weren't impacted in such a way that it was negative. Like you knew it was around and you knew that there were some things that were not so great that were happening, right. but it didn't directly impact your life in a negative way. And I think obviously no. that's because of your parents. Your parents no. kind of knew and they kept you away from that. Because that old saying, it takes a village to, to bring up a child, that's very true. Everybody cared about every. So in other words, we were protected, even from these people, even from these mafia because their children went to school with us. Right, and so we all was actually an unintentional right, level of protection because no one, no one would hurt the, the children, correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I dated another guy named Joe Colora. He was, he, he, was, he was Italian. I don't know if his father was in the mafia or not. But uh, it's, it's, other than my parents, which has nothing to do with our conversation, divorce, I had a good childhood. Because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what poverty was because we were all the same. You know, we didn't go hungry. And, of course, I didn't come from a home where I was beaten up or my father was a drunk. You know, there's a difference, you know. So I was not abused. I, so my memories are great. No, my that's fantastic. But, and I appreciate the, uh, the, the insight that you have because I think it's – I'm glad I wanted to talk to you because, like I said, I kind of wanted to get a perspective – from a person that lived there and, and how, like you said, how did it affect it? How, how you know, the Bolita games and, 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 and how that worked. And, and it was great to get that insight from you. So it's it awesome that you agreed to do this. So I appreciate you agreeing to talk to me about it and thank you. And, and I, think okay. people are, I think people are gonna be very interested in this in relation to my other I episode. I hope so, honey. I hope I've been some help. You oh, know. you've been a great help. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's okay, my love, anytime. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on any of the following podcasting apps. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or CastBox. You can subscribe to the show's YouTube channel under Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. Follow the show on Twitter. The handle is at BendYourEarPod. That is also the handle for Instagram. If you have any questions or comments, you can email the show. The email address is BendYourEarPodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. If you listen to the show on a different platform but have iTunes, please rate and review the show there. This will help raise the profile of the show and search results. If you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please share it on your social media.
Again, thank you for listening and take care.